this is pretty much right now. This is a conversation between me and the doctor and a few people eavesdropping. Um, you know, this war that is going on really since ever since October 7th, it's um, it's been hitting a lot of people very, very hard, myself included. I remember when I, on October 7th, I was in shul and the word started coming in about what was going on. And I got this pit in my stomach and and people started dancing for Simcha's Torah. And I was just like, I don't know. I How do you, how do you dance in a time like this? How are you supposed to? So there, there are some very, very holy yidin that were able to pull it together and dance and, and you know, compartmentalize everything. But yeah. that, that, that pit, um, it probably never honestly went away. It's, it's really, really difficult. The, the images, the stories, the videos that's, that's, that's come out from then. Um, yeah, it's like an endless barrage. It doesn't seem to stop. And I think that when we added on some of the other elements of, you know, other, other ideas and a lot of anti-Semitism, which emerged and dealing right. with protests you know anti-jewish anti-israel it was just it just didn't stop and i think we're all sort of in that space together no question yeah i kind of asked i spoke to it briefly about it with with sonny yesterday i said like we're talking about a little bit and he said like this is a traumatic experience for everybody you know he i think he defined trauma as um i'm gonna mess it up so i'm not gonna quote your brother and mess it up so i'm just gonna not quote him and say what I think he said. Sort of trauma is when you feel not wanted or not loved. Is that does that make any sense? Did I did I mess that up? Or or, or that's it some form. Sense. It makes sense. And for anyone who's going to watch this over the weekend, it makes sense that that's Sonny's definition of trauma. <laughs> um, as yes. you see, I'm like, oh, Sonny was in the room. Wait until you hear his definition of addiction. That was also quite fascinating. Yeah. But but to feel that you know, we see a lot of the videos and what's going on in in in, in the college campuses and and you feel just not not protected, not loved, not wanted. We hear a lot of people talking and comparing this to the 40s and uh, how America isn't safe. So, you know the the purpose of this conversation is not to do like a news analysis and to go into how terrible all this is, which it is, and we could do, but you know, your, your time is too valuable and your expertise is, is very much needed in, in a different area. And that is our, our mental health, uh, during a, a roller coaster like this, you know, I want to just, you know, first of all, open the floor to you, um, and ask you, how are you doing through this? Uh. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I want to ask you as well. Um, I wish I could say I'm doing great. I'm not. That's for sure. I think, you know, there are lots of things that you know. You know, because you understand anyone who studied history understands that it returns. Uh, we we cycle through historical events. Um, I mean, there was a story, and, and I, I wonder how you feel about this. But you know, I think we all had different experiences that sort of represented something different to us. Like, I imagine right. if I were to ask you, like, what was the most frightening moment? What was a moment where this became the most real to you? And to be honest, for me, I'm very surprised by my reaction. And I'll share it, but I want to get to in, in, in a second. I want to go back. But like my most frightening moment was when I saw that post put out. Again, I don't I'm not a big social media guy. I don't have social yeah. media. But someone I saw, I guess, in the news, the post that put out by Black Lives Matter. And for me, 
again, I think, you know, this, we've met a few times, like, I, I want to live in a world that feels like there's love and respect and dignity, uh, even when there's difference, even yeah. and we live in a polarizing universe, we live, we need contrasting ideas and contrasting ideas gives us a sense of identity, gives us a sense of self. It's important that we have polarizing views in the world. Imagine a world where everyone thought exactly the same way. It would be pretty boring, I would imagine. Yeah, pretty boring, I would say. And I, by the way, for those who don't know, it was a, it was basically a post that was celebrating uh, more or less these attacks with imagery of, you know, paragliders with a Palestinian flag, which, which, is, which is disgusting. And, and I, I agree with you that that was frightening to see. You know, almost yeah, more, almost, yeah, almost more frightening than the attack itself and the details, which is, it's, I think it's hard to, for me to mentally wrap my head around some of these things that are being said, because I don't know if the mind can comprehend it or my mind at least can comprehend it, but the reaction of people, um, you know, we have a lot of people in this room that are probably in college or, or go to work in the city and. They see people tearing down signs of of the kidnap. They see people walking with Palestinian flags, and and um, it's one thing for these atrocities to happen. It's another thing for it to be celebrated here in our backyard. Yeah, yeah. I think on some level, intellectually, we know these things, but until you experience it and you see it firsthand, that's when it becomes very real. It's interesting when you talk about trauma. A loose definition of trauma, and I, I'm going to call my brother later and ask him about his definition of trauma and what that means. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be an interesting take. There's no yeah. question. But a general, a loose definition of trauma is you have an experience. You, you go through something that you don't have a frame of reference to inside of you. So you experience something that you don't know how to internalize. You don't know how to incorporate it. You don't know how to make sense of that moment. And as a result of that, then that information, that experience, or, or the feelings that you're encountering, they need to go somewhere. And right. very often, they don't have the ability to get digested by our own lived experience. So there's overflow. Um, and when you think about people that I spent years sitting with people who on a microcosm level, on a small level, have felt rejected by others. They felt rejected by family, by society, by loved ones, whatever it might be. And when you sit with a person in that space, you realize how devastating that experience is on such a deep level, because all we're supposed to do for one another is honor, respect, care for, love one another. You have a moment like this where you see people here together. We come together as a community, which is of the most amazing thing we could do. I think our strength emerges. Yeah. You know, during this time of fear, like it's hard to not also notice that I don't think I've, I've always been proud to be a Jew. Every day of my life, I've been proud. Um, even during times where I was like struggling with those types of things, there was a deep sense of pride. I'm part of the Jewish nation. And that's not something that we could ever forget. But in moments like this, where we're really filled with fear, right. I think we also need to acknowledge on some level that there's also a deep sense of unity, a deep sense of pride. Families are more connected today. Communities are more connected today. Kahilas are more vibrant. People come together during these moments. But when you when you start feeling and I think universally, we're all going through this. And it's hard to call it trauma because we're still in the middle of it. It's not like it ended. We don't know yet how this is going to end. And we're sort of stuck in this anticipation. So we don't know how this is going to impact us. Um, but in this moment, we're, look, we're, we're finding such beauty within ourselves. And it's an amazing thing to see the chesed, the love, the care, 
um, and what that's like, but to, to experience rejection, to experience an idea like the world doesn't want me or the world is disappointed in me or the world is critical of me on a, on a global scale. This is all right. playing out on the world stage. When you look at it on like an individual level, that's profound. Like the experience for anyone feeling rejected by another is like, it's a challenging experience to go through. But when you talk about it collectively in this type of way, it's not a simple time. And we have to really yeah. look for comfort, look for unity, yeah. look for purpose. 100%. For everyone who's, who either is just tuning in or tuning in, I'm with Dr. Perlman. You can go ahead, anybody, and uh, private message me in the chat a question that you want to be asked. If you want to ask it yourself, more than happy to uh, do that as well. Uh, so just send me a message and I'll try to get to it. What are some, I guess, you know, you have a lot of, I call, I dubbed you on our, on our podcast together, the, the grand therapist, because your students are therapists. So you're really the grand therapist to a lot of patients, but I'm curious if maybe in some of your uh, sessions over the last couple of weeks, you know, was there a common theme with, in regards to what, what's going on in the world, was there a common theme that's been coming up with your clients? Yeah. Well, I think the part of it that's really interesting is that I'm not quite sure. I mean, we have universal themes, but one thing I've noticed is that this hits each of us in a slightly different way. It's like we can't ignore where we've come from, what our histories are, what our sensitivities are, or vulnerabilities, if you want to call it that. And I think in moments like this, it's when those experiences become increasingly more vulnerable. Um, so for the people, let's say I saw the title of the speech was about anxiety, managing anxiety. For people who are familiar with anxiety, then they've experienced it in the past. This is going to be a moment where much of that is heightened and you're sort of living on the edge with that anxiety. For people who are not at all familiar with anxiety, they, it may kick in for the first time. I think like you were saying before, um, I experiencing anxiety in my own type of way. It's not like in a physiological way, but it's in a deeper fear what's the purpose of the world type of way, sort of like an existential right. anxiety. And, and we need to find ways to tend to that. But I think we need to, we can't ignore where we come from and what we've been through already at this moment. And a lot of what we're experiencing, I imagine on a personal level is fairly familiar with us. That if we, we know that we have a history of anxiety and we have certain symptoms, those symptoms are likely gonna come back. Um, and we need to find a way to begin to manage them. But I, I think, I think that there's a moment that almost goes beyond anxiety. I just want to share a little bit of a story, if that's okay. I know I was talking about this in, in a different environment as well, but my first day of, of training to become a therapist, where I was actually sitting with people, was 9-11. That was my first day meeting people. What, and in 2001? I, yeah, yeah. Wow. That was literally the first day where I was working in a, in a, in a psychiatric hospital, a locked unit. And I was able to sort of witness firsthand what happened to people who are under duress, living with duress to begin with, and then they encounter something that is profound. And what ended up happening in that hospital was everyone sort of retreated in. They went inside of themselves and it became about, it became their personal story. I know someone who used to work there um, and the amount of Xanax that was being passed around and Ativan just to settle like the, the voices in the room were just profound. It was a tremendous amount of things that were simply being passed around. Um, and what I noticed was like, it was an experience that people didn't enter into the collective. They didn't enter into the claw. Instead, they kind of withdrew into their own experience. And as a result of that, they needed to be treated as such. 
And I think one of the, the biggest difference that we see in, in Klal is that when there's some form of adversity, there's some degree of threat, and you see, just based on our actions, we go outwards. We say, okay, let me, let me take my anxiety for a minute. Let me put it, push it aside and let me jump into action. Let me do something. The amount of money that was raised in such a short period of time. I have two boys in Eretz Yisrael learning, uh, which is not, a, not an easy thing, I imagine, for, for any parent. Just the pressures, the questions, do you bring them home, do you not? Um, it's also, you also need to stick with the type of person you know yourself to be. You know, yeah. if you raise your kids with passion and you say, you know, there are things in the world that really matter that go even beyond our comfort, that go beyond our safety. This is what we stand for. It's not a time to really back away from that. It's like, a, and I got a lot of chizik from, well, again, Ramosha Weinberger when he was speaking with you guys. Yeah. Uh, and also that little clip from the Lubavitcher Rebbe was just tremendous, tremendous chizik. Like saying, like, stick to what you believe in, know what you believe in. Um, and I think it's been amazing how Claudius Stroll responds. We respond through strength. And we say, let's, let's find some meaning in this suffering. Let's do something about it. Let's become bigger, better people. And I think when you think about this moment, it's, it's, it's easy to say, okay, how could I manage my anxiety? What could I do to make myself feel a little bit better? And I think there are things we could do. We could meditate. We could do some mindfulness. We could take a walk. We could write out our feelings. We could share. We could connect. There's a lot that we could do. To, to try to begin to manage our emotions. But I feel like on some level, if that becomes our focus, this moment becomes about managing our own selves, our own internal world, then we're gonna miss out on every valuable lesson and message that's coming in our direction. And there's so much to learn in this moment and so much to acquire and say, how could I grow in this space? There's so much opportunity to lean into our relationship with Hashem and start you know, speaking about that and saying, like, when, when, when the going gets tough, who do I turn to? Who do I, who do I pray to for those moments? And, and if we're only focused on that managing of symptoms, then we don't necessarily have the ability to extend beyond ourselves and say, what could I touch in this moment? And there was a story that I read that was very helpful to me. And I don't want to read the story, but it's, uh, I actually have it in front of me. It's a few pages. I don't want to lose the crowd. Um, it's a basic story that was told over by Reb Aaron II of Karlin. And he does like the classic Hasidic story. He tells his Talmidim as they're getting close to Mincha time, everyone get into the, uh, get into the wagon and we're just going to go. We have no idea when we're going to go. And they traveled and traveled and traveled. Uh, and eventually they got to a place, uh, an inn, and they went in and they said, could we daven Mincha? And they daven. And I think if you know, if you ever had a chance to daven, in a Carliner uh, minion, they don't they don't just say the words; they scream the words, they live yeah. the words. They're alive in their tefillah. So they go to this place. They're virtually, you know, no religious, no Orthodox Jews, and they're screaming and they're and and all the people here, they're praying from their hearts, and all the people in that community, they hear and they come over and they join them and they rejoice and they sing and they do all those things. Um, and then the next day they did the same thing. And before they're about to leave, Rebaran II of Karlin turns to the guy who owns the, this little, this little kretschma, this little inn. And he turns to him and he says, is there something you want to share with me? Something you want to say? And I can't tell you how much comfort just this little statement that he said gave me. And he shared, and he said with him, he said, I'm nearly 107 years old. This guy who's running the inn says, and he says around a hundred years ago, to the day the Baal Shem Tov was here, and he did the same exact thing with his Talmudim. 
And so the, the Rav Aaron turns to him and he said, well, do you have something to share with me? And he turns to him and he said that just make sure that when this person comes in a hundred years from now, just let him know that we were here before. We were here. We did, the, we did what you were doing before. And I think there was a moment that just sort of clicked. You know, you, you pick up a story every once in a while, you get a message that this is an experience that the Jewish people have been through before. Maybe individually, ourselves, we didn't go through something like this. But we collectively, as a Klal, as a nation, we've been through this experience before. And it's an opportunity for us to sort of tap into that and say, what are we really about? What really matters? We're almost like touching the ineffable. We're touching something that is well, well beyond us, where we ask fundamental questions like, what do we really believe in? What is our lives really for? What are we encouraged to do? What, what matters to us? Um, and it's the anxiety which sort of leads us in that direction. Anxiety forces us to ask that question. So it's a strange moment where, on the one hand, we're feeling anxious, but it might not be the worst thing in the world that we are actually experiencing that. We're experiencing anxiety, but the anxiety is compelling us to discover something new within ourselves. And that newness is like, what really is my faith? What really, what really matters to me? What are the connections that I've that I could form right now? How could I give of myself to another? What talents that I have that are specific to me that I could utilize in this moment? And it's, I believe, a moment of transcendence, a moment that goes beyond the individual, beyond the management of our own nervous system, and instead a collective experience with Kali Yisrael. It brings me back to, I, I interviewed not too long ago, uh, Shai Eleven and Joel Kaplan, who lost their children, uh, Yisrael and... Elisheva, and there's something that Mrs. Kaplan said to the uh, the parents after the Leviya. She turned to them and said, "This is this is the test we've been preparing for our entire life. This moment." And I guess it's like sort of you could say the same thing for what we're going through right now. Like all those living Amuna pages you've read, and all those classes you've attended, and all those years in, in yeshiva and everything. It's like it's all for this moment right now. Yeah. You know, that's what it's all for. First of all, I wanted to tell you, you, know, you have a very supportive family. There's, I think, seven Perlmans in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, by the way, I've, I've always had a supportive family, the most beautiful yeah. family a person could ask for. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because while you were saying that story, I kept my eyes kept, you know, just going to the top where I see a bunch of people and Sonny just eating a slice of pizza there. I'm like, oh my God, Sonny, like, yeah. just turn the camera off. No, Sonny's um, looking, man. You can't tell me. <laughs> Sonny's going to do what Sonny's going to do, and he'll do it beautifully. He will. He will. I want to I wanna go ahead and, and get to some questions, because they're they're rolling in, and and as much as I can talk to you for hours and hours, just me and you, we, yeah. have, to, we have to, I guess, acknowledge that there are other people here. Can I just very quickly, one quick second, because I, yes. I told, I because I, I don't always get the opportunity to do this, but sure. uh, my daughter... Uh, who's in 10th grade in Sheva, Chedva Perlman. She was telling, she was saying before that she turned her phone off for a while to study. She turned it back on and she had a ton of text messages. Is this your father? They were all <laughs> on. So I said, I just want to give a big shout out to my most amazing, inspirational daughter, Chedva. She gives, she's like the light of our life. Amazing. Thank you very much, Chedva. I don't know if you're here or not, but hopefully you'll hear from one of your friends. Chedva Perlman, you have a really cool father. You should know that. He's the best. Um, so let's get to some of these questions. Um, okay, sifting through, sifting through. Okay. 
This is a good one. How do I find the balance between continuing on with my daily life and simchas at the same time feeling the pain of everything that's going on? You know, people have to go to work. People still are making weddings. People are, are they have chaburs they go to, but it's like this dark cloud hanging over one's head. How do you, how do you balance that? Well, in, in a challenging way, it's not a simple time. I want to, I want to share a little bit of, of research on this, if that's okay. Uh, just you know, this- I love research, you know, I, you know, I love a good, good statistics and stories. I love a good study, you know, <laughs> something that'll teach us something. Yeah. Um, but there are different studies where they look at, you know, they look at the effect of things. And the crazy thing about trauma studies is that a large percentage of them come out, they come from Eretz Yisrael. Primarily because it's a it's a, it's an environment where the general population experiences trauma on a regular basis. So when you look at things like PTSD and you look at things um, like how do people respond to really challenging situations, they turn to that land. But there's one study that came out of this was more 9/11. It was here in America, and it really speaks to the idea of like saturating ourselves in information and news and what that does to us. Um, but one of the things that they pointed out that was very clear, and like we said before, trauma is loosely defined as an experience that you can't internalize. It's unknown to you. It's foreign. So when it comes your way, it, you don't really have a way of integrating that experience. Um, so when you have, when you see images, and I think there are images that are out there, and I have a pretty sensitive soul. So I sort of know that about myself where I say, okay, I can't, I'm not going to be able to unsee these images. So if I can't tolerate them in the first place, uh, and I certainly can't tolerate them in the long run, I'm going to find a way to not look at them. But they did studies, and when 9-11 happened, people were so shocked. Uh, they didn't understand the catastrophe. Like, how is it even possible that people could do such a thing like that? Very similar to what we're experiencing now. Yeah, barbarians, you know, walking into a town with innocent people and doing the most horrific things to them. How's it even, how's it humanly possible? How are we a part of the same human race of individuals who are capable of such, you know, terrible, terrible actions? Um, but they did studies that, that there's the curiosity that emerges when a person encounters something that they don't quite understand. One of the ways of feeling in some degree of control is by observing as much as we can, because then at least we feel like we're in the know. Um, or absorbing as much like pictures as we can, because then at least we feel like we're in control of the situation. We know what's happening, so now we're in charge. But they did studies on people who overly saturated themselves in imagery, and they found that because they couldn't absorb, they couldn't internalize, they couldn't tolerate it, that so much of that information just was left lingering. They were just left with this deep sense of like, this is, it's too much for me to handle. So I think that it's one thing to pay attention to, that you need to know yourself well. It's hard to know where that line is, and I imagine it's going to be different for me than it is for, for different people. I have a, a sibling of mine who's one of the, probably the most gentle person I know in the world, just a beautiful spirit. But he has like a high threshold. He enjoys like MMA type of stuff. He enjoys like action and physical brutality and stuff. He can handle these things. I know that sometimes I'll sit with him and we'll watch it, and I'm like, I, I can't. It's too much. It's scary. It's hurting. Like people are getting hurt. He just punched the guy in the face. That's painful. Um, but you need to know yourself. Like, what could you tolerate? What could you do? And I think one of the things in navigating, just know that these images that we see, the news that we absorb, if it goes beyond our threshold of what we could internally to- tolerate, then that's going to stay with us. And it's going to make it significantly more challenging for us to continue to live. Um, living just to get to directly answer the question more 
living al Kiddush Hashem, the way we're trying to do today, um, is holy. And the action of, of going about your day and taking care of your kids and taking care of yourself and doing your work because that's your way of taking care of your, your family, your, your klal, whatever it might be, is a holy thing. And for us to not forget that, that our regular actions, like we know, we know this, Chazal talks about, like the, there are different times for different emotions. Um, there's a time to hate. There's a time to love. There's a time for peace. There's a time for war. All these things are possible. And whatever we experience, we need to know is permitted, is allowed. There's nothing wrong with it. We didn't do anything wrong if we haven't, whatever emotion that might be. But at the very same time, hold on to the idea that I need to preserve myself. I need to continue to live because that's the right thing to do. It's the holy thing to do. That's my avoda in this world is taking care of myself and the people around me. Um, and I want to do it with respect and do it with dignity and purpose and meaning. Um, and at the very same time, try to preserve ourselves and our own sense of dignity by making sure that we're not oversaturating ourselves and experiences that in the long run, we're not going to really be able to internalize, which is a hard thing to do because we have competing needs. We want to stay sane and we also want to stay in control. And the right. control part of us is just keeps pushing us to look for more. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, there's, there's another question here. And um, thank you, everybody, for, for sending these again. I'm going to try to get to, to all of them. Um, this question I've heard said by multiple people. So this is a good one. It says, how can I deal with the fear and anxiety of going to sleep at night and thinking about what happened and the fear of what if it happens here? I know somebody that was in Israel with their family at the time of the attacks and they were able to get home, but they had to run to shelters very, very often with a six-year-old even with their kid. And when they got home, the kid said to them, like, like, do we don't have a shelter at home? What are we going to do? Because, you know, obviously the kid didn't understand that, the, you know, we're not there anymore. Yet yeah. people don't feel necessarily safe. You know, this triggered something or this, this, this made them feel something inside that it's, who says we're safe here. So yeah. there's this anxiety that, you know, about falling asleep at night, constantly thinking about what happened. I know you mentioned before about people who, who don't, you don't like looking at the images or videos, but like. I think unfortunately people saw them, right? Like people There's don't the, know they don't know what they were they didn't expect or they didn't know what they were gonna see, but they but they saw. And some things that people see you can't unsee. Right. Yeah. So what do you what do you do then? You're you're laying down at night to close your eyes to go to sleep and you just can't you can't, you can't shake it. What what is one I, I want to say this just to go back a little bit, and I, I want to talk about another study, a different one. It's a little bit a little bit different. This one actually comes from Israel. Um, but by and large, most of us who haven't experienced a great deal of anxiety throughout our lives, this is usually not going to be a time where all that anxiety is going to kick in. Like we're still who we are. Right. Um, the people who generally are drawn to anxiety, that's something that they've lived with for a while. Um, those are people I think are much greater danger. Those are the ones that chances are in the past, they also had a hard time sleeping for a different reason. But now they're in a heightened sense of like just self-protection. Um, and I don't want to give the classic answer like, you know, but, but the people who make it to that level where they're not sleeping, they're not operating, they're not functioning, they're not taking care of themselves. Like th that's a person like I don't whatever answer I'm going to give is not going to be appropriate enough. It's not going to be good enough because that means you're really struggling with like anxiety that needs to be looked at. Um, it might need you might need something just to help you settle down a little bit, just to calm down so you could sleep. 
um, and take it from there. Or you might need to, you know, revisit therapy if that's something you did in the past, just to get a refresher course on what could I do when I'm really facing these things. It's a little bit too personalized for me to say, okay, here's a universal answer. Right. I know for, for many of us, we could settle it with, with Amuna, with faith, with connection, with talking about it, with doing things. Um, these, this will generally keep it at bay, but when someone's at a place where they're just not operating at all, um, like they, they're going to need to call your Rav, call someone that will point you in the right direction to get you to that place, even though I know that that's a supremely boring, boring answer. Um, but I, I, I want to speak about it in a slightly different way, which hopefully would be more helpful to people. Okay. Um, there were, this was a study that was done in Israel. Um, they ran the study for many years. It was a beautiful study, um, a challenging study, but they took people who were in a unit um, who were serving in the IDF. Um, they were protecting our land. What's, it's, I, my wife had said this and I so appreciated it. She was just saying like, have you seen a picture of a soldier who is not so beautiful? Like that was just a statement she's saying. And I think you look at these people today, you see what they're doing for us. And they're doing it. And like Moshe Weinberger said, he said, like, they're, they're more content than we are. And there's something to learn from that. They look more settled than we look, primarily because they're focused on a mission. They understand right. their life has a purpose in the moment and they want to do something with it. And I think we need to do that with ourselves as well. We need to discover our purpose, look for our purpose in this moment, uh, which this study will ultimately illustrate. Where they had two different groups, they gave people an option. If let's say someone's serving in the army and they go through some type of trauma, God forbid, they lose it, they lose a limb, or they experience something that is deeply traumatic that they saw with their unit. The army trying to understand what's the best way to help people in this in this moment, they gave them two options. They said you could either stay with your unit. Um, and part like participate in the, what the unit does, meaning you don't have to go out and fight, but stay with your team, stay with your group of people, process it with them, be present with them. Um, or you could go take a well-needed vacation, go to a lot for a few days, um, take some time for yourself, nourish yourself, find your, find your grounding again. And then they followed these people for many years and they tried to like retrospectively look back and say, which group ultimately did better? which group was less prone to depression, less prone to suicidality. And what they discovered is that the group who stayed with their team, they stayed with their unit, they were the ones who experienced much less trauma. The primary reason why they experienced much less trauma is they had the opportunity to be in the experience with others, to maintain like a posture with their brothers, to mourn with their brothers, to be in an experience where they're not alone, they're not isolated. And I think Zoom actually is probably, it's a, it's a great way to be present in this moment. I know we see some people are on video, some people not. Um, and I know everyone's doing something different. But right. I think it's a moment. Maybe if you take a moment and just turn on your camera so you could just look in, into the eyes of even a stranger, even someone else that you don't even know. But you know that you're a part of the same family. We're in this together. And we're processing this together. And that's a holy moment for all of us. Um, so one of the best ways to inoculate ourselves to any form of lingering trauma is to, to turn this into action, turn this into connection, turn this into activities where we're actually doing something for others, which again, I, I, that's all I've been feeling with this whole thing. And, and it, it lets you know so much about how anti-Semitism to a large degree is like this mystical experience.
It's yeah. like he's thinking about us as a people. Like, let's take a moment to think about what we represent and who are we as a nation. And in any, any demographic of Jewish population, they're raising their kids to love, to be respectful, to be honorable, to have faith, to believe in Hashem in the world, uh, to do for your neighbor, to be kind. These are the things that every yeshiva, no matter what type of yeshiva it is, every single yeshiva in the world is teaching the same ideas. And when you think about what we've done, our contributions to the world, like Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs always says, he said, like, it, it, it morphs from one, one, one experience to the next. You know, it used to be that we were, we were hated because we lived in the shtetl and we were poor and we didn't contribute and we were leeches to society. We were hated for that. And now we run the world and it's a conspiracy because we're successful. Thank God some of us are finding our way into the world of success, making a difference in science and literature and everything. And when you look at that, like, how does that make sense? You have these people that are like, they're preaching goodness, they're preaching morality, they're preaching connection, they're preaching advancement, yet they're still hated in that regard. And there was something about it, like you sort of hold on to, like, what, a, what an honor to be hated for such a thing. I'll take that any day of the week. 100%. We have uh, a lot of questions coming in. We have, I'm going to switch to the pause WhatsApp group. We have questions that came up there. Um, I just put in the chat, if anybody wants to join that, it's where you'll be able to find also the link to this uh, full talk over here. Okay. So we have a question here from someone named Ruchi. She says like this, can you please pass on the following question to Dr. Perlman? And that's what I'm doing right now. On one hand, as a fellow Jew, we have to feel with our brothers and sisters an unimaginable pain right now in our disrobe. On the other hand, to continuously try to feel their pain and imagine the incredible things they go through isn't healthy for anyone. What is the correct response to uh, response on an emotional level? Again, we one thing I've learned over time is that you know you know you get the obvious question from people when you when you say you're a therapist, like how do you listen to pain all day? Yeah. And, and it's a reasonable question. Um, and there's a lot that we need to, we could talk about with that particular question. But the one thing I've noticed is that the more you stick with something, the more you pay attention to something, the more you allow your heart to incorporate another, then the more your heart expands. I think we know this as, as parents, you know, you ask yourself, you have your children and then, you know, with Hashem's help, you're expecting another child or whatever that might be. And you ask yourself, like, how is it possible that I'm going to find room in my heart to love a whole nother being? And then that being makes its way into your life. And it's unquestionable. It's like, of course, there's room in my heart. It's giving to us to some degree as a gift. And I think compassion, obviously, there's something called compassion fatigue, which I think is what the question is about. Too much compassion. But compassion breeds compassion. When you, when you allow yourself to really feel the struggle of a brother, for whatever reason, Hashem creates room in our heart to be able to hold on to that, to be present with it, to, 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 to embrace it in a way that allows us to be there with them. Now, again, obviously, we need to find time. We need to live. And we need to take care of ourselves. We need to do things even to relax sometimes so we could just regather ourselves. But just, and and for, for, that, for those people, like, people... <laughs> Someone might feel guilty. Relax. If, if, if anyone in this room right now feels guilty, you just send a message. Again, the messages only come to me. So I'll be able to really gauge if that's a, a proper feeling. You could just head to the chat and you could just write anything like I do is fine. Okay. 
a lot of people are writing yes 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 i have we already have 25 messages people who are feeling guilty to feel comfort or joy or happiness when there's so much evil and pain happening to our people yeah well again we 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 need to we need to move on we need to live we need to continue to breathe we need to take care of ourselves but i also don't think it's a time for parties i don't think it's a time for a thing going above and beyond uh, just taking care of ourselves in this moment um it's it's a time to be with our people but i don't think we should at all feel guilty about needing to take a pause needing to reflect needing to take a moment for ourselves where we say okay thank god i'm here i'm given the opportunity to be here to take to to do something so let me find a way to engage in that but of course we need those moments uh, i think very few people live in a space very very holy people do where it's just constant output without there being some degree of input um, so we're allowed and we need to. It's not only that, I think it's a holy act, a holy act to take care of yourself uh, yeah. in this moment. Um, I remember uh, just to share a story. Uh, my sister is uh, part of the Hebrew Kaddisha in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, she, has, she has a son on the front lines right now. Uh, she has a son-in-law who's also, also a son, a son of another kind uh, who's also on the front lines. Um, and she's been doing the Taharas. Um, for some of the victims of this terrorist attack, you could imagine what she's needed to go through. Uh, I literally, uh, we don't need to tell the stories, but she's doing Tahara and trying to prepare these bodies in a way where there could be some dignity for the parents so they could, they could bury them with respect. And she's obviously, she's capable. She knows how to do things like that. She's one of the toughest people I know. I have my mother also, who's in the old city, she's there staying strong, believing like they're with our people. And I have so much like, uh, I have pride. I have pride that my boys are there. I have pride that my mother is there. I have pride that my, my, my sister is there. But there's a room where they do the Tahara um, that people go to kind of relax for a second. You know, imagine it's a very emotional experience where you're doing Tahara on anybody, let alone like a victim of, of a terrorist attack. Um, so they have a room where you go and just find yourself, you collect yourself again. And she walks into this room uh, and she sees immediately there are several boxes of pizza that are sitting in the room. And her immediate reaction was that of judgment. Um, pizza at a time like this, who's eating pizza? And then she scans the room and she sees that there's a woman there also doing Tahara, you know, just eating that slice of pizza, just taking it down. And I remember I asked my sister before I was giving uh, a different lecture and, and I said, like, what, what message do you have to share? And she said, please let the people know what this woman taught me. She said, because this woman looked at her eyes and noticed she was being judged by my sister. And she was saying, like, how could you eat pizza in a time like this? And the woman looked at her with like a mouth full of pizza. as She was enjoying it, hopefully a little bit. She had a moment of, of enjoyment. And she said, please, like, they took away a lot from us. Don't let them take away this too. She says, you need to eat, you need to take care of yourself. And if you're going to eat, you might as well eat something that you could appreciate. Now, is it a time to bring all your friends together and say, let's make a massive barbecue and we're going to really indulge in this moment because that's what we need? It's probably not respectful to our brothers and sisters on the front line, to the families that have individuals that are missing and they don't, they don't know, we don't know what's next. It's probably not respectful to those people. And it's important to be a part of the pain of our nation. Um, but on the other hand, like some, you need to eat. And if you're going to eat, 
you might as well enjoy it, even if that means that you're in the room of Tahara, even if you're in that space. Um, that's what we do. And, and the Jewish people, we, we know this place. We've been here before. We know what it means to be persecuted. And we also know what it means to survive. And we know what it means to thrive. And to use a moment like this to, to deepen our bonds, to deepen our connections with ourselves and our loved ones and with Hashem. That's, that's what the moment is calling for. And what a, what a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. As you said that, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's no surprise that this attack happened on, uh, happened on Sochistora, right? One of the happiest days of the year. Uh, we know that a couple of years ago, there was a different tragedy that happened on Lagwa Omer, one of the happiest days of the year. Both days, terrible loss. Yet, both days, we were smack in the middle of dancing as a nation. It's almost like the refua before the maka. Like we have yeah, the ability as human beings, we have the ability as human beings to do both. You know, like Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld said on a Meaningful People episode, "There's nothing more whole than a broken heart." Mm. No idea what that means. Rabbi Joey could say, "Sounds good." Do you know what that <laughs> means? You want to explain it to me? <laughs> I, I I wouldn't want to explain it. The way he says it is much more much more meaningful than however I could say it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let him stick with that. So you line. don't even so you don't even know what it means. <laughs> I I may may I may have my own interpretation of it, but I like the way right. he he's uh yeah he's a profoundly beautiful man. Yeah, a, a question we got here, and this this applies to everyone in one in one way. Either they have kids who are dating, dating themselves, sisters. The the question goes: How do we date now? Should we discuss the war? Is it too heavy and focus on the right stuff? But how do we in general? How do we go out? on a date you know it's it's just so heavy right now it's such a auspicious interesting time this is what we do as jewish people this is what we've always done think about what happened in the in the camps after after world war ii finally they were liberated but right. they people literally spent at, some, at times there were months remaining in those camps just regaining their strength and you hear the stories what emerged from that place all the people were thinking about is so much, so many of us were lost. And if that's the case, now it's time for us to rebuild. And it, we date during this time because that's what the Jewish people do. We move on and we say, okay, how do we strengthen ourselves? And building a, a, a bias namun Yisrael, which is what dating is intended to do, is, is something that we need to focus on because that, that means we're alive. Again, I think when you think about anxiety is a defensive posture, right? We sort yeah. of, we withdraw into ourselves. Um, expansion and growth is openness. And this is a time for openness. Yes, some of us, we need to sort of take care of ourselves, but this is a time for us to lean in and to learn and to grow and discover uh, and deepen things. And that'll give us a sense of calm and meaning. And I think it, when you talk about right now, a time of dating, I couldn't think of a holier time to date. This is a time where you say, Claudius is being threatened. And what do we do? We build we build more beautiful families. We build more beautiful homes because we have the opportunity to. You know, there, there. I don't want to get too much into the world of therapy, but there are basically two approaches to to understanding what therapy is about. You have deficiency models, which is about getting rid of symptoms. We're talking yeah. about getting rid of anxiety symptoms, and then you have becoming models, models that are about who am I as a person? What do I represent? What's my uniqueness? What is what's my place in this world? where I could make my own individual contribution. And everybody has that ability. Some people are given 
certain opportunities where they could do more than others, but everyone has the ability to arrive at a place of, I am in my actualized state. I'm in a state where I am fully me in, in its wholesome way. And I think that, yes, we need to attend to the deficiency models and make sure we don't have the symptoms and we're taking care of ourselves. But much more important than that is to tap into the ineffable, tap into that unknown and say, and, and I think you see it, how many people do we all know that in this moment discovered things about themselves that they barely even knew existed? People who are, okay, I'm working with a guy now. Literally, they needed, again, I can't, I, I don't get too specific because it's someone that I work with, but they mamash needed like tanks, the equivalent of like tanks, a certain type of vehicle. And it, it, it's done. They got it done. And I assure you that this person didn't necessarily believe beforehand I'm capable of doing such a thing. Yet in this moment, they got curious. They leaned into the, to the unknown and they said, let me give it my best. Let me try. And I think it's very similar with dating. Like this is our opportunity to build, to grow. And, and that's what the Jewish people do. Hashem promised us we'll always be here. We have that just last week's Parsha. We have literally that, that the rainbow, which is a reminder that the Jewish people are eternal and will always be here. And yes, will we suffer along the way we've suffered? Will we be victorious? Of course we will be. Um, but this is a time to tap into that broader sense of what does it really mean to be a part of the Jewish people? And what is our legacy? And what do we really stand for? And how could I be more of that? How could I lean in even more to what, what matters to me? And, and that's a beautiful moment, beautiful opportunity for us. It really, it really is. There's, there's somebody that sends in a message that deals a lot with, um, with death and illness and, and, and loss. And the question is like this, any chizuk to people who emotionally are holding others? Therapists, Rabbanim, crisis people. I feel like I can't catch my breath from tragedy to tragedy. COVID may roan and I barely caught my breath. And now this, the heaviness on a daily, a daily basis is one I signed up for and know how to do. But I used to have reprieves and I feel like collectively we don't. How do I not burn out? How do I continue to be able to do this kind of work? Yeah. I think we need to find people that could hold us in these moments. And I'm just sending a big hug from all of us, whoever's here, we're all, we're all in that place together. And you asked me in the beginning, how am I doing? And, and I answered, honestly, not the best, you know, I I've been better in my life. That's for sure. And a lot of that is um, trying to do my part, you know, even asked by you show up, let's give physic to, to the people and to show up and do everything we can, which leaves very little room for self. When, when is there even time? to focus on those things. But I think it's important. I know that just to, some words of advice, like use this moment to reach out to people that you know could be supportive to you. Um, I sent a text message today uh, to a Rebbe of mine, literally, because I just needed a little chizik and I just texted him. I said, Rebbe, I miss you. That was it. I didn't get a response yet, but I, I needed to reach out because I know that his love that I feel from him is unique. It's like a special love. It's a Rebbe to a Talmud love. And I'm missing that. And I could use that right now. I need that. And, and I hope he hears this so he could text me back and say, I love you, Kivi. I'm with you. And here's a hug that I'm sending in your direction. Um, so again, we're surviving this moment. This is, we're not at the end. We're in the middle. So we're trying our best to make our way through. And, and there are things we could do to get through a little bit better, a little bit better and very, very frequently very infrequently is, is doing our best means we're isolating, we're withdrawing, we're going in. That's usually not us at our best. 
sometimes we need a little time. I told my wife just tonight, because um, Wednesday, sometimes I have a little bit of a lighter schedule in the morning. And I said, like, and then usually we'll go out for breakfast or something. And I said, tomorrow, I just, I need some time in the forest, just for myself, because that's my way to connect, my, my way of being. Um, and I know that it'll give me something that I don't have right now. And I'm just grateful. She's like, yeah, go to your forest, you know, she, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but with with with, uh, with graciousness, you know. Yeah. Um. So this is a moment, but but please accept our universal hug from everybody who's here, saying thank you for your for what you're doing for Klaistrol. Um. But also take care of yourself, and if that means you take a moment to pull back a little bit and say, I need to tend to myself, and I need to eat a slice of pizza because I'm not nurturing my body. Uh, use that moment to take that, regain your strength, and then get right back to work because Klaistrol needs you. Kali Stroll needs all of us right now in the way that we could contribute. Well, I, the person who, who sent that message just wrote here that they so badly needed this, what you just said. So, you know, on behalf of them, thank you for, for saying what you just said. Um, there, there are so many questions, and I, I know we're, we're going to have to wrap up um, pretty, pretty soon. Uh, I, I would say that trying to and again anyone who's watching this is being recorded and this will be posted god willing on on the meaningful minute app on youtube um i put in the chat i put a link to the pause whatsapp group where we have sort of like a little mental health community where we post different types of content um so go check that out but what about doing for cholesterol nachi look at you man you're doing for it's, it's you know for me uh, we could do like a personal therapy session now even though there's 260 people here you know, in my in my seat, I've been I've been dealing a lot with content. Like you know, a lot of it nice. You show your bow dancing with soldiers and singing on their shoulders, and you know, it's it's, it's all you know those nice things. Same time, I'm, I'm glued to the news. You know, yeah. I can't I can't and and like I grew up in that type of house where I I would watch news. My father is like a he owns a newspaper, and you know that's sort of like in the blood. Like my grandfather was you know algaminer, so like it's in our blood, but. I'm glued to the news every every time I, I just find myself sitting down, just watching the news and just shaking my head, you know, like looking for something. And and I don't know if I should be shutting it off or I shouldn't be shutting it off or if I'm, you know, or if I'm watching it too much. But I tell you, like the feeling I'm having after is just it's such a it's such a helpless feeling. It's, yeah. it's such a feeling of like how does this end? And, and you know what, like there's so much talk about hostages and hopefully this and that, but for me, it's just like, you know, even if they get all those hostages, God willing, you know, 1400 people, you know, like, yeah, that, that doesn't, you can't take that back. No, no, but I, I think you made a good point. Like pay attention a little bit. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself as well. And I think all of us, Pay attention to how we feel after we indulge in something, meaning you're talking about looking at news. Yeah. And if you're saying that every time at the end of that experience, which I can very much relate to this, it feels the same. I'm either deeply disappointed in the world around me and or I'm completely confused because it doesn't even make sense. How is this even possible? Or I'm fearful that like the world doesn't feel safe to me anymore. And to pay attention to like how we're responding to what we're doing and then take a moment to reflect and say, if this is my reaction to what I'm doing, then maybe I should take it a little bit easy. Like maybe I should question 
like the incessant need to keep going back because it's not leading me to a good place. Uh, we're probably better off, you know, at times, again, we need, like I said, we have these competing needs and values of wanting that, you know, mastery, that control versus um, at the very same time, preserving our sense of self and dignity. Um, but but we're, we're probably better off, you know, taking a little bit less time, you know, paying attention. If there's something that's dramatic, we're going to hear about it. We all heard about this on Simchas Torah, literally where no one has access to their phones, the whole world heard about this in shul. Someone, yes. someone was sharing the information. And pay attention to how it's making you feel. And if it's making you feel bad consistent on a consistent basis, then reconsider it a little bit and say, maybe instead of doing this, maybe it's an opportunity to call a sibling who I haven't spoken to in a while. I assure you, you're going to feel a lot better about that. Where you say, you know, and we don't need to get deep about it, but, you know, maybe we don't talk as much as we should. And this moment is is a moment for that pause and reflection. I'm realizing, you know, how much I, I need you, how much I cherish you, how much I appreciate you in my life. I imagine an experience like that would would fill us with something great, as opposed to the dread of trying to manage the mastery of being aware of everything that's happening. Um, I imagine it would make us slightly, you know, make us feel better in the long run. Yeah, 100%. The last question, I'm going to let you go. Um, is it okay to cry in front of my kids? Mm. It, you're asking that to a man who's cried in front of his kids a ton of times this week, you know. Um, and, and it's something to say. One thing we need to know, kids are, I've cried in front of my kids because I, I number one, I want to show them that we feel the pain. It's not like deliberate. It's very right. easy for me to cry because all you need to do is think a little bit about what's going on and they just start flowing. There's not much more you need to do. Um, but I think there's also a part, there's a chinuch, an age-appropriate chinuch of when your brother or sister is in pain, so are you. That's what it means to be a family. That's what it means to be Kali But we also need to be, we also need to try to create safety in our homes so our kids feel safe. Our kids are not complex like us. They don't understand nuance. They don't get the idea that there could be terror and beauty that exists all at the same time. And we do. We're, we're a little bit older. We're a little bit more sophisticated. We can hold on to everything. And kids, I had the wonderful gift of my children actually teaching this to me, um, where I, I, I think I shared this story when, when we were together at some point, where just to, just quickly... Um, I walked in on my kids having a meeting. They were having like a, a meeting together, a little conference. They wanted to get something. I'm not sure exactly what, something that they normally wouldn't get at that moment. And they're having a discussion, which, which child should speak to which parent and what should they say? And the most beautiful part about it was they were like a thousand percent right. Like everything that they came up with was if they would have been, at, if I didn't walk in that room, they would have gotten what they wanted because they knew to which kid to send and to which parent and what words to use. And it just lets us know that even though we don't say these things outright, we don't deliberately say, hey, kids, this is who we are. They know they pick up on these things. And I think if they do see us in distress, and if it's a lot, a lot of distress and we're really, really anxious, you know, call someone to, to help you in that moment and say, okay, I need, I need a moment for myself so I'm not terrifying my children. Um, and we can take turns sometimes as spouses, you know, watching over children and things like that. Um, we don't want, we want to show them that it matters, that it's with us, that we're living with our people, 
uh, and that's a value that we could give over to them. But we also don't want them to internalize our fear because we want to give them a safe world as much as, it, as, it, as we possibly can, um, even though we know that it's going to be complex for them too. We know that it, they're going to have to struggle the same way we're struggling when they're older. Um, but hopefully we give them enough safety that by the time they get to that place where they need to incorporate complexity, they're a little bit more settled down. They're just a little bit more okay. So I think it's important we could emote and we share the pain. But I think when you get to a place of I'm overwhelmed and I'm lost and I can't keep myself together, I think that just frightens kids. There's no real lesson in that. Um, so try our best, you know, even though I imagine we're, we're going to have moments. I, I, I've needed a few times to apologize to my kids uh, for the way I either responded or was a little bit too too rough or whatever it might be because I'm not in my I'm not my best self like most of us at this point we're not as collected as we usually are um, and we could say that we could say I'm sorry for the way that I that I treated you because I'm, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit high strung right now and I think that could be ultimately appreciated Dr. Perlman thank you so much for giving us your time we really really appreciate it it's an honor to be here thank you all for being here together with us uh, it warms my heart that's the honest truth to see. I, there's some familiar faces, some students. Um, I see Blimi is here and, and a few others. Uh, it's just very, it's comforting. It's, it's supportive yeah. and it's very special. So I thank you for the opportunity, but I can't tell you how blessed I feel to just be a part of this amazing family that we have. And we should keep getting together and keep looking each other you know, in the face and saying, I appreciate you, I value you. And even though there's hate in the world, we're choosing to love because that's what the Jewish people do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right. Everybody who joined us tonight, the recorded version of this will be up, God willing. Um, there is a link in the chat. You can join our new platform, which is called Pause. It is all about finding that time to pause in life and, and focus on our mental health. And listen, as from Jews, we live busy, busy lives. And and uh, Meaningful Minute, myself, we are working on, you know, creating this platform to serve the Jewish person, you know, the from Jewish person with all the challenges and the Shabbosim and the Amtovim and the family get togethers and everything. A lot comes along with that. So on that platform, you know, we have WhatsApp group, we have WhatsApp status or on Instagram. We're going to be posting a lot of different content clips from even this segment with Dr. Perlman. And we'll be having more webinars just like this. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Of course, I'm always, always open to hearing any of your feedback on anything. My email address is nachi at meaningfulminute.org. That's N-A-C-H-I at meaningfulminute.org. But a lot of your questions, I know there's a lot of pain out there. Wishing, wishing everybody, um, Mertz Hashem, only good things. Besides Tovas to everyone. Have a great night.